Welcome back, AIMP Nashville Pubcast listeners. I'm your host, Tim Hunzi. In this episode, we're hanging with Chris Van Belkum, better known as Falcon of Combustion Music. We talk about partnerships, communicating, but most of all, how to cultivate success. Welcome back, AIMP Nashville Pubcast listeners. In today's episode, we're sitting with my friend, Chris Van Belkum. Most everybody calls him Falcon. So for those that know him, it welcome Chris and Mr. Falcon, however anybody addresses you. Welcome to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And Chris is the current vice president of Combustion Music. Combustion is one of the premier independent music publishers been around for 22 years now it's like iconic to me and and all my years of being here you're still around still kicking ass in those short 22 years there's 105 number one stashed in there which is insane for any small because you guys correct me if i'm wrong you guys have always stayed a tight-knit small like you've always had a small staff small roster of writers but you've just gotten it done right we've consistently had about five or below people on the staff and about hovered somewhere around kind of 12 to 15 riders, somewhere in that zone, the whole kind of journey. We've always kind of been around there. Chris, let's just start this off. My friend, uh, I keep, I got to quit going back and forth <laughs> between Chris and Falcon. I'm going to just use Falcon. Falcon, give me the short version. When did you jump on board and give it a little background of how you got to where you're at currently with combustion? I graduated MTSU in 2003 and jumped on board with Combustion. I kind of took an internship towards my, the end of my uh, college career. I actually knew somebody was leaving. That's about the time I I jumped over and I've been here ever since. At the time when I started at Combustion, it was the Kings of Leon were there. That was the cool, that was what made me, made the company really catch my eye at the time. That was different. It's like I knew it's a country really in 2004. Nashville is a country town and they were doing some of the few rock things outside of it. And just at the time it was small. Our, our whole company is built off of long-term wins and songs that stay around and music that's, that stays around. It's really worked. You know, and part of that comes, I think the consistency in the staff, you do, you, you wear every hat that comes to you. Some days that's running and picking up coffee and some days it's, kind of running from session to session but it's like you just do whatever you gotta do to keep the place moving forward in recent years man we've really seen a significant change in music publishing and how we need to operate because with the rise of streaming we saw a loss of income on just cuts and we had to learn to pivot to try to drive our bottom line and sustain ourselves as publishers and i've really admired how you guys have shifted to this new landscape we're facing and have moved into the master side of the business i'm curious into what how you saw that coming and what made you guys decide to pivot to more artists and really artist development and what went through your mind can you can you touch on that and some of the challenges that you've you faced in that yeah, well, the whole, our whole world, it kind of turned already to a more collaborative with, it kind of shifted from that, that traditional kind of song plugger to A&R relationship that it had been for years. It still kind of was, it still was that at the time, but our writers were getting way more in with the artists themselves and uh, co-writing became the strategy. 
that started to be the way it kind of put rights together. The producers of the actual acts started finding themselves in the room more and more every time. As the production got back into the kind of the writer room hands, we kind of saw from our from our end as we were kind of connecting all the dots. There was a, there was an area to to buy in to to make our deals. We're, we were already as a publisher on on young artists. We kind of had great, like the Kings of Leon were an early signing. We signed Russell Dickerson to his first pub deal. We had a handful of acts that we had signed over the years. Partnering with the labels, but we're really partnering with the artist. Like the artist is the one that like the business is broken. The art, the 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 art form and how we make it isn't, but the business is broken. So it's like our relationship with the artist is what matters. And quite frankly, we're usually at the publisher, the the first point of contact anyway. We're the first one raising the hand anyway, because we can see because we see the we see the songwriting, we see the art coming from the actual dude. And when the dude is the is the conduit to that art, we've been given like st- streaming as much as as much as everybody wanted to hate on the DSPs when they first showed up and we were trying to get get our uh, get our our rates all in line. Like they they saved our life. They were like for the first time ever. We we never stopped as a company making records. We would make records on artists and then shop them around, try to get them a, a record deal. And if we couldn't get them a record deal, we'd just be out. But now we had a way, like we had a way that we could send an act out with a body of work, and that body of work would would reach the masses. We wouldn't have to live by selling records off the bandstand. We could live off of building a live fan base that would go consume the music, and then we get paid for it. So we were able to, like, for the first time ever, there was an income stream that we could kind of advance alongside of our publishing deals that we were advancing to begin with. What was one of the first artists that you really took that to a task with and put out and saw that grow and went, oh, shit, this is really going to work? I know you worked with Jameson. I don't know how you structured his deal. And Jameson was the first one where we had a publishing deal with him. And then we saw him. He played a show. He, he put a band together and played a show. The first time I heard his voice, like there was a song in particular and then just his voice I liked so much. And he was always going to be an artist to me, but he, when I met him, he wanted to be a writer for a little while and figure out what he sounded like, which was perfect, which is exactly what we wanted to do. And after after a little bit of time went by and we saw tremendous growth as a writer and we saw him as an artist, we put together another deal. We had a, another deal where, where it was basically to fund recordings to get the thing to where it needed to be, which ended up being a ton of random things, but a lot of, uh, a lot of tour support, which you used to kind of hear in record deals back in the day, but you don't really hear as much anymore. I'm sure they're changing now, but it's like it's like that's the main other than the other than funding the recordings themselves, all of the ancillary things that fall around that tour support ends up being with Jameson and with Corey Kent. Those are like that was where the majority of the of the money was spent getting getting the music out to people. That's that's a big thing for us is. uh is not only a really, really compelling act, but an act that's led to go play live, like that wants to play live, that has the desire to, doesn't doesn't want to as like a, as a, oh, I have to do this to make it connect, like does it because they have to do it. Like all of our, like the music I like the most, the music all of us here like the most, the people would do it whether or not they were being paid at all. Jameson's got a song about it called In It For The Money on his last record that basically says that. It's like, if I was in for the money, I'd quit a long time ago. It's like the acts that we true that truly uh, 
work here are the ones that just have to. But it's expensive to do that at the front end. But we we watched that with Jameson. We watched it turn into into money. Like we we sent him out. We cut this four song EP, and uh, he had this great agent over at CAA. Uh, uh, Darren Murphy and Sam Forbert was just the young guy at the time. Sam was. He had this really cool little club tour, this little headlining club tour that Jameson could run. And he said he was like, in nine months, we'll know whether or not we've got we've got any kind of a rhythm. So we were able to go out and tour in support of this record. And of course, ate it on that first tour, but enough impressions were made to where and, and we created a pretty good relationship with it. I mean, the DSPs were budding at the time. John Marks was still at Spotify. It was like a different era of of that's a, even, you know, the DSPs haven't even been around a decade now. So there's already already been a fundamental shift in the way those operate and the way they exist and the way the creatives deal with the town and just the size. I mean, they were teeny then, but there was an income stream. If we got them out touring, you could get your money back. Let me ask you this question. What was the challenge for you? Because you had been pretty much the head of the publishing company for a few years, and then you saw yourself growing into more of this say in our side, I know a lot of this from our, our hangs and our lunches and just being buds is like there was this transition for you personally within the company of going, all right, now I'm going to go be more A&R. There was that pivot and uh, you still are very successful in publishing. So you see yourself growing into this A&R role and, and expanding, as you just said, like Combustion's not just a publishing company. Combustion also wants to be an independent record label. So was that a thought out process or was it more just like you're making up as you go, you know, and, and that both answers are good to me because I think a lot of times we just fly by the seat of our pants and, and make decisions on the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were definitely, the whole thing was make it up as you go, but uh, Kenley Flynn left to go to Sony right during, right in the middle of COVID. So that changed, we had to make a, I was able to make hires at the time. With Blake Duncan, he came on first to replace Kinley. But then as the label was starting to grow, we needed some publishing support and hired Keith and Melton. So it's like I w- we were able to, we were making it up as we went along, but we made hires as we went to help support where we needed the support. Like I, like that was a weird transition and still continues to be. But all of it melts together. Like all of these jobs melt together at a certain point. Like if the communication is great between the publisher and the A&R, it means the act is probably doing good. Our way is not to control things. We're, we're just to, we're trying to build the team correctly. It was definitely, I was, I was flying, we were flying by the seat of our pants, but as we grew into an indie label, had we not hired correctly, we would have stumbled as a publishing company. We didn't because the hires were able to happen at the times when they happened. And Kinley had to leave when he had to leave. It all kind of, it all kind of came together as we went along. What was for you, Falcon, the driving thing that said, I'm going to get more involved on this artist side and not just the master side, but, you know, really get involved with these young talents. And you can talk about Colby specifically. The thing that made me take notice that we needed to move closer to the artists to begin with. Honestly, the hotter Gorley got, the more art, the artist right strategy became a thing, the more gatekeepers I started dealing with with the artists themselves, and the more I started seeing the agenda from the gatekeeper that was creatively fucking with the way the projects sounded. It's like I started seeing what 
these little minor adjustments that were happening in the in the artist's orbit that would take them slightly off track to get closer there and to not let that happen to protect it from just it's money grab stuff every time it's little money grab stuff that are it's all understandable and all justifiable but is it actually cool the question needs to be asked there's not an answer but the question just needs to be asked i've made it a point to make it me and with the artist that i'm close with and it ruffles feathers every time but it keeps it a little more real kind of leads to colby honestly that's one of the things that was so like when i first met him not only was he like he has to tour when i met him he had put 200 people in dallas in a club he'd never played before with a group of guys around him that still the majority of the band is still the same that it was then he was out being a rock star where i was surrounded by people trying to be rock stars like there was a major difference when i met colby cooper like really with him all like all he needed was uh to grow as a songwriter which he did incredibly fast i met him on his 21st birthday he came to nashville for a couple of years and learned how to write songs and uh that's what you're hearing for you now. I don't know if you heard Kill Me that just came out over the weekend, but it's yes. so good. Like he's special. And uh yeah, that's when I met him and heard his stuff. I was such a fan of his music to so begin you, with. Did, it's like it's right up my alley. I just love it. And and uh and now everybody else is starting to get it too. <laughs> We're all learning to work together a little bit better in this new environment we're in and it's the big guys trusting us when we go this project's ready you need like with colby and 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 broken bow you got it to a place they saw the vision they're taking it and now you guys are running it further down the lane together as a bigger better team yeah that's the new plan is to get out touring as fast as possible that's when we met Corey kent he did a full rebrand he was Corey kent white before he, he met us but he dropped the white and he went and called between him and then his manager, Chris Fox, like he, I think he played like 120 or 130 dates to support the, the records that we were making. That's where a lot of the, that's where that tour support came in. That's where, that's where a lot of that was spent. And then with the, with our developing artists right now, Peyton Smith and Farron Rachels, both of them, it's the same thing. It's, it's trying to find as many shows as possible. We got William Morris on Peyton and they've been doing great finding shows. But again, each of the shows, comes with probably a bit of a debt attached to it we're trying to sell as much merch as possible but trying to get out touring as much as possible play as many shows to go support the music as possible that's the key let's touch on Corey a little more i like i i haven't brought him up i'm talking about colby but as you stated where in his career you said it, it was a different version of rebrand what was it about him that made you go i like this guy i think we can take this somewhere else and explain to me the creative process that that got him to this version he's at. Corey, if you hear him in the room saying, Corey's voice is just compelling. Like he's, he was one of those, Kinley had signed him when he was still here. Uh, Alicia Pruitt had signed him to Warner Chapel before that. Like he's just, he's an incredible talent, an incredible singer. And when I first met him, he kept talking about his live show, but I hadn't quite seen it yet. Like, but he was talking about his band and his live show. I realized I'd never actually heard him sing live before. I was like, dude, I know this is weird, but will you grab a guitar and just play tumbleweed for me? So I, I just like, I need to just make sure you're not full of, you're not, uh, I'm not being manipulated by the AI already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
he's got a really, really compelling live show. If you've never seen it, go see Corey Kent live. He's he's like that's where he if you like the record, you're gonna freak out when you see him live. It'll be the it'll be the show you talk about for the rest of the year. Falcon, what is some of the advice you would give to any aspiring music publishers out there or artists? What is some advice you would give to anybody wanting to get in this this music business? I mean, it depends on what part. Do you want to do what I do, what we do? You got to be a good hang and not a weirdo. Have a have a musical opinion. There's a lot of people, dude. Even like, have gotten pretty far in their careers that have that aren't really. It's going to be a hard climb if you don't have an opinion, <laughs> you know. And it's and it's like there's a lot of people I think that would consider. I would say that they do, but they actually don't. They're they're waiting to see who, what everybody else thinks before they say what they think. Again, I will state that like from us in the industry and as successful and uh, the fun I've had, like you guys have done some amazing things. Uh, Combustion's just one of those. You've made your mark in history, dude, and continue to do it and are smart enough to know you don't know everything, but are brave enough to jump out there, pivot, try some things. And, and it's freaking working, man. You're, you're building careers for young artists and you continue to be a major force in the publishing industry. So cheers to that, dude. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunzi, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. And this has been a Dime Collective production. 